Praise the Lord. Stay standing, please, as we read God's Word together. This is Luke chapter 19. We're only reading a few verses, but they're really good. We start in verse 37 of Luke 19, and we'll read through verse 40. This is the Word of God. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. Praise the Lord for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the testimonies of Imani and Jenny. Already touched our hearts. And God, we've praised you, we've worshipped you, we've sang loudly to you. We, we love you, Lord. And so God, there's a lot to celebrate on Palm Sunday, the day of your victory, the day of your entry into Jerusalem, the very city that you would die for. But God, in the midst of the excitement and the victory, uh, there's, there's some things on our hearts this morning that are heavy. Got to think of the Carmen family, community family here in the area whose daughter Ashley passed away in a car accident. God, we ask your grace to be upon them. God, please be near them. Comfort them with the comfort of divine grace. Give us the grace to reach out, to be available, to be in prayer. God, as we think of heavy, other heavies that are going on, we, we do want to celebrate this day. We want to go for it, God. We want to sing loudly. We want to praise you. We want to celebrate you much the way the crowd did as you walked into Jerusalem triumphantly. And you are the triumphant king, Jesus. You are the one that our hearts long to worship. And you did it all knowing that you were going to go to that cross and you were going to pay the price for our sins. And you're going to rise again. And you did. And we rejoice. So God, do a work in our hearts. I pray that every Christian would be really encouraged by this journey through the triumphal entry. And God, I ask that you would save any person here that is lost and not a believer yet. Would you please save them from their sins? Bring them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, do all that work for your own glory. Bless us as we study your word in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, once again, welcome to church. We are in Luke 19 this morning. My name is Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here at church and very thankful for you to be here. So Luke 19, if you have a copy of God's word. And our sermon series is The Road to Easter. And my sermon title this morning is all hail the king. The king is coming. 
And praise the Lord for that. Palm Sunday, if you didn't know, kicks off what is called Holy Week. And Holy Week is otherwise known as Passover Week in the Jewish calendar and in the Jewish mindset. So at the time of Christ, and when he entered into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry, the consistent population of Jerusalem at the time of Christ was 80 to 100,000. Okay, 80 to 100,000 people. That is understandable. We can, we can wrap our minds around that number. During the Passover, the population exploded in Jerusalem. And it exploded to the number of 2 million people. And all God's people said, whoa, right, that's a lot. 80 to 100,000 person town is no joke. But this is conservatively... Two million people that this city blows up into. So it basically turns from Des Moines into some sort of Chicago overnight. And so if you understand this, and some scholars say that the number in Jerusalem was closer to four million, and that is just mind-blowing. That is the population when Jesus is entering into the city of Jerusalem. When he walks in triumphantly as Hosanna and the king, and everybody's saying, all hail the king. It's a population that is very significant. Now, what's going on in Jerusalem or what's going on in Jesus's ministry as he enters into the city? Well, a lot of momentum. There's a lot of people gathering at Bethpage and Bethany just outside of Jerusalem to the east. A lot of people gathering around Jesus because, oh, I don't know, he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's kind of a big deal when someone is dead and now they're alive. That's a big thing. Can I get an amen? That's something. He had just saved Zacchaeus, that wee little man. And a wee little man was he, right? Climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord you want to see. Like Jesus had saved Zacchaeus, who was a wicked man, and had brought him into the forgiveness that only Jesus can. And Jesus was teaching powerful parables. In Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, you see the parables of Christ. And there's a lot more than in Luke. Jesus was teaching all the time. And he was on fire as a teacher. He was on fire. He may have been more popular than Dennis Daggett. Maybe. I don't know though. After the Unseen Realm class, I feel like, I'm like, Dad, I gotta, I gotta help you develop some humility, man. Everybody's like, Dad, your dad's the best. You're okay, but your dad is the best. But anyway, Jesus is on fire with his teaching. And most, most recently, like I said, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And that's in John chapter 11. You can read about the raising of Lazarus, a miracle of miracles. And the most recent thing that he had done is he had supernaturally instructed his disciples to go into the city to get a particular donkey and a particular cult that goes with that donkey. And he said, oh, by the way, I want you to do that. And I know exactly where it's going to be. You're going to go here and you're going to turn here and there's going to be a person with a donkey. And you're going to say, I need that donkey. That's not a request you get often, right? And not only are you going to be able to take it, they're going to be like, hey, what are you doing? And you're going to say, the Lord has need of it. And they're going to be like, okay. And so be, imagine being the disciples that got that task. You're going into this burgeoning city 
And you're like, I don't even know what we're doing. I don't know where we're going. But you go into the city and there's a donkey with a colt. And you're like, maybe let's steal that one and see what happens. They take it and people are like, what are you doing? Well, the Lord needs it. And all of a sudden they're like, yep, go ahead. Just like he said, mind blown. Who is this man that we're following? And so Jesus has a lot of momentum. Things are surging. I mean, things are going very, very well as far as human measurement. And this is the big idea of the text this morning. The triumphal entry was the decisive surge in Jesus's ministry that would move him on the path of salvation that would be climaxed or pinnacled in about a week. So this was the essential surge, the decisive surge in popularity that would move the the whole plan of God down the path that it needed to go because this surge of excitement had to happen if the cross was going to be in the future. And I'll explain that more later. But think about the triumphal entries that you have seen in your life. Think about them, right? Think about the triumphal entry of a bride coming down the aisle to her groom. I've had the privilege of officiating a lot of weddings. You have probably been in a wedding if you're married. I hope so, right? Or you have given witness to a wedding. And is there not few things in life more powerful than when the bride comes through the back of the, of the room and you say, Let the congregation please rise. And there is this energy that happens, right? It is amazing. It is worship. It is power. And and normally when I am officiating a wedding, I look over, there's a young man. I don't care how tough he is and I don't care what his story is. He's normally crying. Can I get an amen? Because he sees the beauty of the triumphal entry of his bride. And I remember being that groom and watching Danielle come down the aisle and thinking, what kind of woman would marry a sad sap like me? I mean, I totally do not deserve this moment, right? And, and every single guy who has married up, you understand exactly what I'm saying. Like, this is ridiculous. Triumphal entry. How about another triumphal entry? There's a certain women's basketball team Caitlin and her posse are going to have a triumphal entry. I don't know how the game's going to go, but the entry will be glorious, won't it? Can you imagine their entry into the stadium, into the arena, onto the floor, right? There's going to be triumphal entries going on in women's basketball today at 2.30 p.m. Now, what happens after that? I have no idea. Hopefully, there's a triumphant exit. Amen? Amen. At least I can get a Hawkeye amen there, right? What about another triumphal entry from my devotions this morning? Judges, or Joshua chapter 4. Not Judges, Joshua. Joshua chapter 4. Joshua tells the Levites to take the Ark of the Covenant and walk across the Jordan River. And they take that ark and they walk into the Jordan River and all of a sudden the Jordan River stops in the springtime when floods are always going on and it stops and it gets dry and a million plus people 
walk across the Jordan River on dry ground. You want to talk about a triumphant entry into the promised land. That was amazing this morning in my reading. So we've seen triumphal entries. But greater than a a wedding, greater than women's basketball, and greater than Joshua 4, no one tops the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. It is amazing. And here's why it's amazing. There's this surge of people worshiping Jesus, and he is coming in. And the, the thing that makes it so powerful is Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows what's in front of him. And he knows that the penalty for sin has to be paid. And yet he embraces this surge of popularity and excitement because he knows it's what has to happen in order to lead to the betrayal, to the arrest, to the false trial, to the cross, and ultimately to the resurrection from the dead. So what is this triumphal entry all about? And what does it have to do with me and and my life? Well, Jesus is going to bring it about. And here's what it's all about. It's about verse 38. Blessed is the king. All hail the king. Verse 38 is the centerpiece of the text. And it says, all hail or blessed is the king. And when we, when we identify this king, this King Jesus, we see him doing three things. Three activities that I want to draw your attention to briefly before we close up. Activity number one is this. This king, who we say all hail to, he drew a big crowd. Verse 37. Jesus drew a big crowd. Verse 37 says, As he was drawing near, on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now, the the phrase, the whole multitude, is in reference to a massive crowd, 250 plus thousand people. All God's people said, that's a lot. It's a lot. 250 plus thousand people, two-thirds of the Des Moines metro area crammed into a small space, all there for Jesus. Does that give you some perspective? Like basically our whole city. Coming together and there is loud noises and praises and shouts and Jesus is at the center of it and everybody wants to get a peek of Lazarus, the man who was dead but is now risen from the dead. Everybody wants to look at him and there's lots of loud voices praising God for what? For the powerful, mighty works that had been seen by them. They had seen Jesus do mighty works and they were here to praise their king. This is the king of kings. He's here. Now, this is a very big deal. In Matthew chapter 21, it's a parallel passage. What else were they saying as the loud voices crowded, uh, came down from the crowd? Hosanna in the highest. Matthew 21 verse 9. Hosanna in the highest heaven. What does Hosanna mean? Hosanna means save now. Save now. And what they wanted Jesus to do was set up his kingdom now. Now, does that make sense? Of course it does. It resonates with us because we have the same inclination in our hearts now. Save now. Lower my taxes. Amen. Stop making dumb decisions. 
We want freedom. We want God's rule in our life. Amen? That's good. That's what we want. Hosanna, save now. They wanted their needs met like right here, right now. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee, Matthew 21. This is Jesus. They're shouting out his hometown. He's from Nazareth. And do you remember what Andrew said? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Not the best town to be shouting out, but that's where he was from. Right? From Galilee. And they were shouting this out loud. It's a big crowd, a loud crowd. Jesus is a very big deal. So if you had your mind set in the Bible on podunk little town, a dozen people or so, putting palm branches and coats down, and oh, it's, you know, it's the little hometown parade. Yay, you know. Get the, get the Tootsie Rolls out. Throw them on the street. No, 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 no. No. 250,000 people. Loud noises, praises, coats going down everywhere, palm trees going down everywhere. I mean, this is intense. Prophecies are being fulfilled. Zechariah chapter 9 comes into play here. Lots of stuff is happening. Jesus was a very big deal. And he was making a big deal. And he drew crowds. This is important. And then we'll go to the next point. Jesus is still drawing crowds. Amen? (laughs) He still does it. Jesus is still drawing people to himself in salvation, and he's drawing crowds together. Now, you can try to identify, well, I, who, who are the true Christians and who's not Christians gathering together? You know what? I don't know. Here's the deal. Jesus draws because he loves. He's the salvation. He's the way, the truth, the life. There's Big groups and small groups, they get together. Amen? Sometimes it's bigger, sometimes it's smaller. Jesus is still drawing people together. Praise the Lord. For those of you who are wondering, do I need a church home? Yes, you do. Why? Because Jesus draws people. That's what he does. Get in a small group. Meet in the house. Study the word. Right? Get to every single service you can because you know what? It's good for believers to be around each other. How cool is it? 250,000 people probably saying, what in the world? I had no idea. I thought I was the only one who loved Jesus. This is incredible. All these other people. And if you've ever been to a concert or a big thing for Christianity, you know like, oh my goodness, one of the biggest encouragements is you see other Christians and you think, I'm not alone. Jesus drew a big crowd. All hail the king. Secondly, the king received praise. Not only did he draw a big crowd, he received praise. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The reference to blessed be the king is a quote from Psalm 118 verse 26. This is really important because Psalm 118 verse 26 is the quote that Jesus had already used earlier in the Gospel of Luke, and now he uses it again. People are just quoting it, and they're saying, blessed is this king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. The people were concerned about what? Peace where? In heaven. Hmm. Peace in heaven. What does that mean? It means Jesus came to dominate the unseen realm, right? He came to do works in your life personally and all over the place. 
It reminds us of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Where? On earth as in heaven. Peace in heaven. Everybody in the crowd was recognizing the right thing. That this man is going to bring peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now that also sounds like a familiar phrase to us. Glory in the highest. Glory in the highest. Where have we heard that phrase before? Oh, wait a minute. I remember Christmas. Luke chapter 2 verse 14. The angel says, glory to God in the highest. What? At Jesus' entry... When he was born, angels declared peace on earth and glory to God in the highest. When Jesus is about ready to die and exit, peace is declared in heaven and glory in the highest. Wow! This is good. This is good. Now, he received a bunch of praise, worship. Can you imagine how big of a deal it is to have all these people Hundreds of thousands of people praising your name, how much pressure that is and how intense that is. That is so intense. Jenny and Imani, you did a great job with your baptism. Awesome. A little nervous, probably. Sharing in a few hundred in front of a few hundred people. Multiply that by hundreds of thousands. And the pressure. And the excitement and the joy and all of it coming together. That is this scene. Big worship coming to Jesus. And Jesus receives it. That's amazing. This is the first time in his ministry that he's received it. Every other time, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is always stiff-arming people who want to worship him. They bow down and worship him. He's like, don't do that. My hour hasn't come yet. Okay. You know, he even rebuked his mom. Don't, don't do any of that. My hour has not yet come. Don't tell anybody yet. He's healing people. He's doing all this incognito ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all behind the scenes. And he's never receiving worship until right now. Hundreds of thousands of people coming and he's just like, yep, time. It's my hour. This is the moment. And he's receiving the worship. Why is he doing it now? Because he knows that it is this surge of worship that will be the thing that finally drives the Pharisees and the religious leaders so bonkers that they will kill him for it. He knows that it's going to take this big of a, of a, of a ruckus, this big of a worship session, this big, big of a chaotic moment to bring the Pharisees and religious leaders to the determination that they will kill him no matter what it takes. This is it. Now, Jesus is God. He must be God because only God receives worship, right? Going back to uh, the Iowa women's basketball team for a moment, if I could. I don't like it when Caitlin Clark does this. This. To the crowd. I'm like, no, no, Caitlin, you're a great player. Stop doing that. Only one person's worthy of that. It's not you. His name starts with a J. Only Jesus can receive worship, right? It it pollutes the soul of the human, a normal human to receive worship. It's bad for us. It's terrible for us. But Jesus receives worship. Also, Jesus is sovereign and in control. He knows exactly what he's doing. 
He knows what's coming. He knows this is the moment to receive the worship because everything else is predicated off of this. And so Jesus is worthy to receive all praise and worship. A a pointer for us as we close out this point is our worship must be loud. Amen? Listen, Midwesterner, it's okay. Raise your hands, shout your praises, get a little aggressive with your expression. It's okay. They did it in this passage. And it was totally appropriate. Jesus said, yes, it's okay. Bring me more. I'm God. Nothing has changed. It's 2023. We still worship Jesus, who is God. We can shout it. We can praise it. We can clap for it. We can do it because he's worthy of it. Okay. The king received the praise. All hail the king. And finally, the third activity that Jesus did was he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In the midst of this huge momentum and surge of worship and excitement, the Pharisees show up, the religious leaders show up, and they just bring their sour, gross, vinegar words. Vinegar. Maybe you have to drink vinegar as a kid. I did when I got in trouble, which was frequently. Maybe that explains a lot. Okay. Whenever Jesus brings victory, the enemies bring the vinegar. Whenever Jesus brings the victory in your life, you can count on it. Vinegar is coming. Can I get an amen? A witness from a Christian? (laughs) I mean, it's unbelievable. We get victory in Jesus. There's all this stuff. And these Pharisees are sitting there just like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. There's 250,000 people. We can't stop it. They are loudly praise God. We have no control. I hate this guy. And I'm just going to vinegar this guy with my words. Vinegar. All this victory and I can't stand it. And they have a track record of doing this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every time Jesus gets a victory, the Pharisees are right there to bring the vinegar. And whenever you're getting victory in your life, you can guarantee it. There will be some sort of vinegar statement on the backside. Christian, I don't know what to tell you. Get used to it, right? Get through it. Through Jesus, keep getting the victory because the vinegar's coming. Now, what's going on with them? They're seething with anger. They are frustrated because they can't control the crowd. In John chapter 12, verse 9, they say, what is going on? This is ridiculous. The whole world is going after him. What are we doing? Right? But have you ever thought about this? The Pharisees were dominated by jealousy. Have you ever read that it was because of envy that they handed him over to Jesus or to Pilate? More than being angry and frustrated, they were jealous. Those should be my crowds, that should be my praises. What's going on? Have you ever read Proverbs 27.4? Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? What? That means wrath is bad. Anger is bad. But you know what's worse than wrath and anger in your life? Jealousy. Covetousness. Some of you Christians are in a bad spot because... Jealousy has gripped your heart. 
And you look around and you say, I don't have what everybody else has. I'm jealous of that person's gifts. I wish I were in that position. They always get all the breaks. I get all the hard things. I'm jealous of what their gifts are. I'm jealous. And this is the spirit of the Pharisee. It's the spirit of our sin nature when we are not walking with Christ. The Pharisees demanded, you tell the, you rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. This is ridiculous. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And Jesus says, look, if these people don't sing and praise God, the rocks are going to do it. Which is Jesus' way of saying, I'm going to get my glory. They're going to praise me. I am the son of God. I can't be someone else than who I am. I am the exalted son of man. I came to die on the cross for the sins of the world and rise again. And I am that guy. I'm that guy. So if you tell me to be quiet and tell this crowd to be quiet, that's fine. The rocks themselves, the physical rocks will start singing my praises. Which is telling the Pharisees, you can't win. You can't beat me. I win. Game, set, match. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament speaks of his handiwork. Day after day, they, it pours forth speech. Night after night, it cries out knowledge. Did you know all of creation points to Jesus? Did you know everything praises his name? So therefore, we can't stop his praise. Our king is going to rule and reign no matter what happens on Good Friday. Sunday's coming, amen? And all of a sudden, the victory is ours through Christ. Nothing can take us away from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans says that. We are victorious in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Holy Spirit has given us a king, and that king is meant to reign. And we say, all hail the king. So the triumphal entry, as we close, was the decisive surge. It was the big surge that was needed to move the plan of salvation forward and bring it to a pinnacle or a climax. Jesus drew big crowds. He received praise. He spoke the truth. And my question to close the message is this. Jesus made a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Has he made a triumphal entry into your heart? Into your heart. Into my heart, Lord Jesus. Has he made that entry where he conquers your sin and your pride? There's two challenges here, right? One is for a non-Christian. If you're a non-Christian here, you've never let Jesus in. I mean, he's never, he's come and you're like, no. But this one moment in time is this moment where you need to just let him in. Let him in. He's going to have his way. He's going to get his glory. It's easier if you just cooperate. Amen? So some of you need to be saved. You need to repent of your sins and let Christ take his triumphant entry. And for believers, you need to let Christ have that entry that he had when he saved you. It's time for a a renewal. (laughs) It's time to let him come. And just speak authoritatively into your mind and heart. There's an area of growth. There's an area of sin. There's something that needs to go. Let Christ do it. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time and the word. 
Lord, thank you for your grace and baptisms. And Lord, we are so, so thankful for your triumphal entry, Jesus. You are the one. All hail the King. Lord, may we shout our praises. May we be, may we be loud. May we shout biblical truth. And Lord, may you get the victory in our hearts. As we enter into Holy Week this week, Good Friday, Easter next Sunday, God, may this be a, a week of great transformation. We know that the enemy is spitting vinegar. We know that it won't be easy. We know that there is darkness and enemies of the cross of Christ. We know this. Lord, we're not asking for an easy road this week. We're asking for a beautiful road, a glorious road, a Christ-centered road. So God, help us sing our hearts out. Help us respond to you in, in, in the midst of our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and let's stand once more, shall we?